as we look at what it means to be God's people living in this world and citizens in this world, we look at the book of Acts that's calling us to worship as God's citizens and citizens of his kingdom. And in that day, as, as is any day, the authorities challenged that. And in that challenge, Peter was called before the, the authorities for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen to this. Luke tells us, so they called them, the authorities called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Imagine. I, I hope that happens to us in, in this, for this reason. It will mean that we are saying it so clearly that it's getting to people and they're hearing it. But in that day, they were called and ordered not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered the authorities, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, there's the gospel. It comes out of us because we cannot stop doing that. May that be our spirit as we come together today. May we be equipped by God's Holy Spirit to proclaim that good news that cannot be stopped. Let those who are able stand, but come now together. Let's join together and worship the living God as we sing God's praises today. My friends, because of what God has done for us, in Jesus Christ, and only because of what God has done, we have real freedom. We have real hope. We have a newness of life. And the Apostle Paul writes of that. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Jesus Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Why? Because he has transcended the bonds of this life. He has defeated death. He has consumed our sin. He has absorbed it into himself. And so Paul writes, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we have been made new. In him, we are forgiven. And because of him, we get to tell the world. Amen. It covers everything of the gospel and God's promise and covenant faithfulness to us. And last week in chapter 12, we heard Paul say, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. Today we look at where that takes us, and uh, it's not an easy word. But listen as I read God's word for us, because God's Holy Spirit will bring it to our hearts in such a way that we can live it. Hear God's word. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God bring to our hearts and minds an understanding of what this challenging word means for us as the body of Christ and citizens in this world. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, you are our rock. You are our redeemer. You are the one who fills every longing and makes us whole. Let your good news come now and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit. And with, and with that full assurance that you will give us your understanding as we lean into you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You know, today we're, we're faced with a text that, uh, candidly, most preachers would rather have a root canal without anesthesia than to have to preach upon. Uh, the late Thomas Gillespie, uh, president of Princeton Seminary, said, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. But you know what? We need to hear this. And we need to be willing to tread as the body of Christ and understand it so, so that we may live well in response to these challenging words because God knows what God's doing. And nothing that anyone has, no power that anyone has, no opportunity that anyone has comes except that God has placed it there. So let's look. First of all, we need to understand something from the get-go. This passage of Scripture is among the most misused in all of the Bible. It is the most misused 
of several texts in all the Bible. It has been incorrectly used to oppress the church and culture across the ages, beginning with Nero and coming forward. In our own history, Hitler and the Third Reich used this passage to suppress the confessing church in Germany. The South African government used it to oppress the work of Nelson Mandela and to force the church to support apartheid. It was used to put down the church in our own country during the civil rights movement. And Paul said this while facing extreme opposition from Greek and Roman cultures and governments, ones that ultimately took his life for what? Preaching Jesus Christ. In all these cases, and many others, this word has been misused by people who ironically did not believe God's word for a second. It has been misused by people against those who believe it. It has been used as a tool to suppress the truth and to further the evil of evil people. But as we sang this morning, the truth, even if it's on the scaffold, will not be taken away. So we wonder, why, why did Paul say this? Well, there are three keys to answering this question. The first is that Paul did not say it before God's Holy Spirit breathed it into him. Okay? Let's go there. This is, after all, as we say every morning when, when we read the Bible, the word of the Lord. This is God's word before it is the word of Paul or any human. In this, Paul acknowledges this, that God is sovereign over all things. The government, leaders, despots, and righteous do not have authority except that God has given it in the first place. Paul acknowledges that God is sovereign. He is the king. He's the ruler over all things, and as such, God deals with anything that opposes his will. God will not be thwarted. God is not mocked. Even to the point that God will use people to do what God wants done. And we'll say more about that. The second reason is that Paul has just exhorted the church, as we read in the 12th chapter, to live peaceably among who? all, as much as it depends on them. And the third reason is that God, through the Apostle Paul, reminds us that he knows the mission of the church, the body of Christ, is to be an agency of transforming culture from within, not running away. Which, of course, has us asking, then when, if ever, is it right for a Christian or for the church as a whole to confront the civil authorities. Well, we begin with what Peter and John said in our call to worship. It has come to be known as the doctrine of lesser magistrates, which Peter puts so simply that when the superior or higher ranking authority, civil authority, makes immoral or unjust laws or policies contrary to God's word, 
the lesser or lower ranking authority, which could be the individual, has both a right and a duty to refuse obedience to that superior authority. You want an example of that? Do you know what King George of England called the Revolutionary War? Anybody? He referred to it, and I quote, as the war with those damn Presbyterians. <laughs> because they said that you are usurping rights that God has given you, and you are using them immorally. It becomes the right of the lesser to speak to the greater of that defiance. In fact, our whole Constitution is based on the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church that says God alone is Lord of the conscience, subject to the ordering of Scripture. If necessary, the, the doctrine of lesser magistrates says that the lesser authorities may even actively resist the, the higher authority. Some of you uh, may have read about it. In uh, Boston, there was a thing called the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. John Stott is very helpful here as he states, granted that the authority of rulers is derived from God, their power is derived from God. They don't have it except that God has given it. The question he asks is, what happens if they abuse it? If they reverse their God-given duty, commending those who do evil and punishing those who do good? Does the requirement to submit still stand in such a morally perverse situation? One word answer, no, no. The principle is clear. We are to submit right up to the point where obedience to the state would entail disobedience to God. But if the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then our plain Christian duty is to resist, not to submit, to disobey the state in order to obey God. Whenever laws are enacted which contradict God's laws, civil Civil disobedience becomes a Christian duty. Read Bonhoeffer. And look at Jesus. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. And if Caesar has taken what belongs to God, then we need to say to Caesar, no. Nine. The very formation of this nation, as I pointed out, in leaving and coming together, out of many, one, e pluribus unum, is based on adherence to God's law over that of a human ruler because our identity is that of God's people for God's purpose. This is what Karl Barth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Niemöller, among those in the Confession Church in the, against the Third Reich in Germany, said, nine, no, we will not be an agent of evil. We must obey God before the immoral laws of this man, Hitler. And the same thing holds true in personal relationships in families. When someone is doing something that is against God's law, the commandment says, honor your mother and father. You say, 
I am honoring you, mom and dad. I will not support that which is immoral and contrary to God's law. I will not honor you if you are beating me or abusing me. I must obey God. And saying no is the most righteous and God-giving love there is. It is wrong, though, to misuse or play fast and loose with this, just as those who would use Scripture to do the immoral. Our calling is twofold. One is to be aware of God's word that we know can support or resist civil authority in biblical conscience. In either case, we have a tremendous responsibility that God has entrusted to us for his glory, and God will support his body, the church, and individuals therein in either calling, either supporting or resisting. God's Holy Spirit, speaking through his word and through the body of Christ, will, in, will empower us to know what our role is as citizens. But at no time will God leave us alone to say, couldn't we just let somebody else do that? In 1937, in the midst of the rise of the Third Reich, and Hitler's manipulation of the nation and the church, Lutheran German pastor Martin Niemöller realized it was not a Christian option to say, well, somebody else will deal with that. Somehow it'll get dealt with. And he famously wrote these words. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for the Christians. And there was no one left to speak for me. Ours is to say nine, no, when it is wrong. And the reason this is so is because our calling is to be salt and light in culture, and sometimes salt stings, but it is also a preservative. We are citizens, but in the larger sense, in this world and in the few years that we're given in this life, we are resident aliens in this setting. But we are also ambassadors from God with God making his appeal through us to this culture that is estranged from him. As citizens of God's kingdom, it is our calling to make known God's graceful call to repentance, to turn around, to become different, to be transformed. And it is our calling to say to the world, this is God's call to you. We are ambassadors bringing this message from the one and only king. Yes, we need to pray for our leaders and not resort to anarchy when someone just looks at us the wrong way or hurts our feelings, as it seems is so much the case today. Let's go turn over a bus because someone hurt our feelings. As Christians, we need to also stop being politically correct when it is not theologically or biblically correct 
to ignore that which is not God's way. We need to say, with reasoned authority, no. Our calling as Christians is to represent our king, and as his ambassadors, we are to show God's will above our own will to speak the truth in love gracefully, tactfully, but directly with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love that says, I would rather not do this because I know this could really stir things up. It could cause me great pain, but I have to say this. I cannot not say it. Paul says, woe to me that I do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have to tell you what the gospel is, and the gospel says there are things that are wrong. We need to say this into situations and to the people who are missing the very nature of our call to live as God's people. And my friends, we're living in a world that does not do that. We're living in the midst of a church that does not do that. We have separated ourselves out denominationally because we want to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes this is messy. And sometimes, as in the case of Jesus himself and Paul and later Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's deadly. Or it can be fraught with rejection that is social or political and can even have financial consequences. It has cost many people across the years much of this. It can bring frustration to speak the truth in love, to speak the gospel, that can cause us to say, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm going to shake the dust off my feet. I'm, I'm just not going to be part of that any longer. Wouldn't that be biblically correct? Wouldn't it be? Jesus, he gave us that out, didn't he? Isn't he the one who said, if they reject you, just shake the dust off your feet? Couldn't we just go on ranting about what we see as being so terribly wrong with anyone or any authority that we consider unjust or inept or diabolical or all of the above? Couldn't we just write a letter to the editor? I ask this because I know myself and I know human nature and I read stuff on Facebook. And that's way too often how we tend to deal with things rather than speaking the truth in love and being the gospel in the flesh to a situation. But I hear Jesus saying to me, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And I realize that my role and our role is to challenge, to encourage, to be God's instrument in a broken world that does not know God and God's ways. And that starts as close as next door, and it goes to the capital and beyond. Paul is telling us that through those in civil authority, God is taking care of us. And I know a lot of us laugh at that line, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. <laughs> but how often do we miss the fact that we, live, we are well cared for by our civil authorities? Thank you to those of you who serve in that capacity. Keith, you go in the line of fire every day. Thank you. We can fail to be grateful for how often the authority around, around us keeps us safe and well protected. <laughs> Just as a quick aside, do, are, are any of you aware that last May, not this past May, but May of 2017, 22 acres of Highway 1 over in the Big Sur area of California, a whole mountain collapsed, 22 acres of dirt 
I looked at that and I said, they won't have that open for five years. It opened two days ago. You know why? They turned the engineers loose. The heck with the politicians. Let's get the engineers at work. The reality is we can fail to be grateful that it, things do work and that God is at work through those authorities. When was the last time you saw someone be stopped for a traffic citation and say, officer, thank you very much. I was, I was going to hurt somebody. I really needed, thank you. Ever written one like that, Keith? <laughs> We can take it so for granted that when things are not just perfect by our standards or when things that are a result more of culture than the government make us uncomfortable, we can get angry and cynical and try and blame the government when we look around and we go, we have met the enemy and, yeah, okay, good, you know what I'm talking about. When was the last time we sought the face of God on behalf of an dot? worker or a police officer or the director of the United States Geological Survey for the state of Nevada or on behalf of one of our elected officials who's not of our particular political party. No, they're not perfect. Well, these guys are. <laughs> they work within restraints that result in things that we don't like, but we, do we pray for them? Not just to be removed from office, <laughs> but that somehow God's Holy Spirit would take hold of them and guide them and encourage them. And here's a, here's a big one. Do we pray for people close to our leaders who know and trust God's word and Jesus Christ to be graceful yet bold in, in speaking to those entrusted to those who have such an awesome responsibility? Do we pray for those people to, to touch others in Jesus' name? Are we being the ambassadors for Christ that God has called us to be? Paul wrote about our lives as God's citizens by saying, but we have this treasure. We have this opportunity, the good news of Jesus Christ, in clay jars, cracked pots. Have you ever thought of yourself as a cracked pot? So that it may be made clear that the extraordinary power belongs to God and not to us. He tells us this is how we show God's mission, is to let it pour out of us the good news that has been poured into us as citizens of this world as we recall that our true dwelling, our true citizenship is in him. We are here to be agents of God who work from within to bring about God's will. Remember how Paul and Silas prayed for the jailer and did not leave the jail cell but called him and said, no, don't kill yourself. We're here to bring the good news to you. And do you know what happened that night? The jailer and his whole family repented and were baptized and became members of the body of Christ. We get to do this. I know. I know it would be a whole lot easier if we could just go to Fantasy Island. But we get to pray for and tell our leaders that God is working through them and that we are praying for them 
and for the wisdom to lead well. When was the last time you wrote to a political leader or picked the phone up and did not call on any particular agenda item, but just to write them a note, send them an email, or uh, make a call, or to say to them in person, I want you to know I'm simply praying for you that the God of the universe and Jesus Christ would breathe into you through his Holy Spirit an encouragement to hear his word and way. I, I want you to know that. What, you mean you're not asking for me to change? No, I'm just praying for you, that Jesus Christ would be known to you and through you. We get to challenge gracefully by asking good questions and wanting to know how we can help to make their work succeed. Is this what we're doing for our leaders? It is so easy, so easy to miss this. It is so easy to get caught up in the negativity and to lay it all on those who have been given the mantle of responsibility by God when we could be celebrating the opportunity to bring support. Now, the late Charles Spurgeon, or the late uh, Charles Colson, gave us such a great reminder of our true calling when he said, many Christians, like most of the populace, believe the political structures can cure all our ills. The fact is, however, that government by its very nature is limited in what it can accomplish. What it does best is perpetuate its own power and bolster its own bureaucracies. When the Ottoman Empire, Turkey, threatened Europe, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said, the Turk is the rod of God's anger against the church that has walked away from God. So opposition to the government must begin with repentance, prayer, and preaching God's word. What part do I play? What have I missed? If a political leader's behavior or stance on issues contradicts what we believe the Bible teaches, we need to step back and humbly ask, is God showing us something about our spiritual state? And then we need to repent of any sin that God reveals. The late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the church is the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, but never the tool of the state. God is in control, my friends. And God has gifted us with the promise that God will make all things new. Truth will not die. And God will work through what we may be frustrated with. As we are called to live into this promise, let me conclude with a story that I heard this week that I think challenges us all to realize we belong to the God of the universe who has placed us where we are in this world and in this nation and in this community to be his agents of grace. Man writes, I was, while I was attending graduate school in the 1980s, I, I stopped for coffee yeah, in a Malibu, California restaurant. And he said, coming from a non-political family, I knew nothing of political activists. But one day I met one in this restaurant. He told everyone what a mess the United States had become. He ridiculed our government and our educational, industrial, and banking systems. 
He was on such a roll that he had everyone on his side except two people in the restaurant, me and an old man. The activist shied away from me, seeing my Pepperdine hat, my Ronald Reagan t-shirt, and my Wall Street Journal. <laughs> so he dove in and went after the old man. As he approached, the old man continued slurping his soup and turned his back. The activist sat down at the old man's table and offered, Mister, if you can tell me just one thing the United States has ever done for you, just one measly thing, I'll leave you alone. Finally, the old man looked up, licked his spoon, set it down on the table. His red face indicated years of laboring in the sun. And with a heavy Russian accent, he replied, We hold this truth to be self-evident, that all men created equal and are endowed, therefore, by their created creator to certain unalienable rights, which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then he went back to his soup. The activist defeated could not argue against the, what the old man had experienced on both sides of communism. We get to say the same thing in a far more powerful way because we've lived in the darkness. We know what sin can do to us. It can kill us, and we have been set free for far more than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness on a civil level, but on an eternal level. And we get to say to the world, oh yes, I can tell you one thing that Jesus Christ has done for me. He set me free from a life of bondage to myself and sin. My friends, we know what real freedom is, and it needs to be more than just the 4th of July. It comes from knowing we belong to Jesus Christ, if you do not know this, please come see me today. Whatever your bondage is, I can tell you. I can give you the keys out because God has given them to us. If you do know this, if you do know this freedom, I want to challenge you to get down on your knees and be grateful for it and begin praying for those that God has placed in leadership who do not know God's graceful hand, and I want you to write to them and call them and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we glorify God as his ambassadors and give God thanks for this great calling, and may we rejoice that we have already been set free forever. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. We are free now and forever. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we get pretty impatient. And uh, we get pretty caved in in ourselves. And uh, we want to be real critical rather than being supportive. But you have not been impatient with us. And you have loved us with an everlasting love. And you've given us the freedom, especially in this great land, to acknowledge your presence. And we pray that we would do that with wisdom and integrity and the character of your servant spirit. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, my friends, as we consider our context and where we are in this life and this world together, may we as never before remember we 
go nowhere by accident. We are nowhere by accident. Where we are, God has appointed us to be here. Where we go is because Jesus Christ has sent us. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we therefore believe it and go gracefully, joyfully, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way.